and kingdom of God. And Jesus used many parables to try and convey to us what the kingdom of God is like. Kingdom of God. And Jesus used many parables to try and convey to us what the kingdom of God is like. So today I want to dig a bit deeper and discover why Jesus was so obsessed with the kingdom of God. He really was. He said it all the time. We don't. He did. Maybe we're missing something. He kept saying the kingdom of God is this, the kingdom of God is that. So I think we should find out a little world, every nation, every denomination. It's the kingdom of God. So in Matthew 6 verses 9 to 10, you probably know these words where Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, kingdom of God, 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 kingdom of God. And Jesus used many parables to try and convey to us what the kingdom of God is like. So today I want to dig a bit deeper and discover why Jesus was so obsessed with the kingdom of God. He really was. He said it all the time. We don't. He did. Maybe we're missing something. He kept saying the kingdom of God is this, the kingdom of God is that. So I think we should find out a little bit more about the kingdom of God. Anybody with me? And guess what? It's not just, it's not just us here. It's much wider. All around the world, every nation, every denomination, it's the kingdom of God. So in Matthew 6 verses 9 to 10, you probably know these words where Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, in, in, when he said, when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, the first, thing, the first thing on the agenda was he said, thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God was so important to Jesus that's right at the start of the Lord's prayer, which means it's pretty important, I think. The word kingdom itself means rule or authority. When linked to God, it refers to both the rule of God in heaven and on earth, and it encompasses time and eternity. It encompasses everything that we experience and, and, and can see here, but it also encompasses time and eternity from you know, ever more past to ever more ahead. That's the kingdom of God. It's comprehensive in nature. It covers everything. And it's not a physical place or a territorial domain. It's a spiritual realm, a divine reality that exists within each of us, though we can't physically see it on a map. But it's a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, any earthly kingdom country or country has certain characteristics. There's always a ruler of some sort, a king, a prime minister, a dictator, a president, sometimes all of those at once. You know, um, I am thinking of Victoria, but let's not go there. Uh, but, you know, there's, all, there's someone who rules the place, okay? There is always someone, even in democracies, there's someone who rules the place because someone has to rule. And then there are citizens. That's you and I. There is an identifiable realm or a landmass like Australia where there are laws which apply right across the landmass. If you're, and Australia's easy because we've got water around us so we can figure out where our boundary lies. It's not so easy if you're in the middle of Europe, but we have water around us. It's a pretty clear definition. If you come into Australia, you have to obey our laws, don't you? You can't come into Australia and say, I know you guys drive on the left, but I'd really rather drive on the right. You can try it if you like. It's not going to end well. Because our law says we drive on the left. Right? Right? Left? Right? 
So when you come into a country, you should obey the laws of that country. God's kingdom too is composed of a ruler who is God, subjects or citizens, which is both ourselves and angels, a realm, which is all of creation, the whole universe, and regulations or laws that are laid out in his word. The trouble is the people want to live in God's kingdom and ignore the ruler and disobey his rules. It'd be like saying, I, I want to live in Australia, but I don't want to pay tax. I don't want to be anything to do with the government. I don't, and, I, and I want to drive on the right-hand side of the road and do whatever I like. Right? It makes about as much sense as the rest of us in regards to the kingdom. The kingdom is not some distant reality reserved for when you get to heaven. It's not pie in the sky when you die by and by. It's for here and now, and it works now because it's within each of us. So I'm going to uh, explore this morning, ask the question, what are the characteristics of God's kingdom on earth? What does it look like? What, are, what, what things do we need to know about it to live in this kingdom? Well, number one, it's the kingdom of God. There is a sovereign and comprehensive rule of God over his creation. The Bible declares that God's kingdom is the entire universe, all of our world and beyond. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Now you can say, I don't want to be in that, in that place, but you're, you're, in the, you're in the territory, guys. You can't sit in the middle of Australia and say, I'm going to set up my own commune and it's going to be a different country. You're on Australian soil. And folks, for all of us, we are on God's soil. This is His. He made it. The whole world and the whole universe. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to the point where they recognize God's right to rule as king and they submit to His authority. Jesus said he will establish his earthly kingdom one day, but until then, there is a kingdom. There is a kingdom right now. God has decided to set up his own kingdom communities, which is called the church. And it's been brought into being by the Holy Spirit to exercise God's kingdom authority in history. Now, if you look back through the Bible, there have been many great kings. David was definitely one. Yet in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, listen to this. He's praising God. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So the king of Israel said, I'm not the king. There's a greater king. You might say, yeah, but, you know, he was Jewish and, and you know, God's people and all that sort of stuff. Well, if you look at Daniel 4... The, perhaps the greatest king in the whole of history, in the whole of history. It's not King Charles, it's somebody else. I know you're thinking that, right? But the greatest king in all history was probably Nebuchadnezzar. He owned the entire world that was known at the time, pretty much. <coughs> and in Daniel 4, verse 34 to 35, he says this, listen to this. Talking about God, it says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Even the greatest king in history pointed to God and said, he's the king. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The problem is we as people, we concentrate on all the things. I want stuff to eat. I want stuff to wear. I want somewhere to live. I want a nice car. I want, you know, good friends. I want a good family. And we concentrate on that. But Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you get that. So there's something about the kingdom that is amazing and releases something in us. The second thing about the kingdom 
is a kingdom agenda. A kingdom agenda is the visible manifestation of God's rule over every area of life. We are called to align our lives underneath God's overarching rule. We are called to have a kingdom agenda. God's kingdom needs to remain at the forefront of our thinking. So every time we face a choice or a decision, His kingdom has bearing on that and we make a decision that lines up with what the king would want. Does that make sense? It's a kingdom agenda and it's based around his covenants and his guidelines. The kingdom agenda transcends the politics of men and it offers solutions of heaven. It removes the divisions that humanity has erected between uh, sacred and secular because he's rolled into one. We've got this division of church and state But in God's kingdom, it's all rolled into one. And it affects every area of our lives as individuals, families, church, and community, which means God's agenda should be overruling what governments decide. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, the bottom line is this. When we operate inside of God's kingdom agenda, we experience God being involved in our lives and all the benefits that come from that. If you say, Lord, I want to be blessed, Lord, bless me, bless me, and you don't operate within his kingdom agenda, don't expect him to bless you because the converse is true as well. If we operate outside of his kingdom and in opposition to his kingdom, we experience the negative consequences of not being aligned and covered by his covenant. It's a choice, but I think it's a pretty clear choice. The third thing about kingdom is there is authority. Remember we used to sing a song. It's a pretty cool song actually. Majesty, remember? Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be your glory, power and praise. The next bit goes what? Majesty, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own. His anthem raise. So the authority of the king flows through us. The sovereign rule and the word of the king flows over all his creation and through us. Jesus delegated it to the disciples and through them, we have the same authority. It means that his word is our authority. And as long as we operate under his authority, we can ask whatever we want and it shall be done. It doesn't mean we get a free blank check to ask God for whatever we want. Okay, that would be nice, but we don't get that. But he says, if you ask according to my will. So I think it's pretty important if we're going to ask God for something that we establish what his will is, don't you? We should not assume that God's will is something we should ask him. Sometimes we assume and we get it wrong because we don't bother to stop and ask God. But when we ask God, we can operate under his authority. When we're close to him, the closer we are to him, the more authority we have. That's why Jesus in Matthew 28 said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God gave all his authority to Jesus. He gives it all to us if we are obedient. While authority is offered through Christ, it's not often accessed. If we choose not to live by the kingdom agenda, we spurn his authority. Don't think you can put a little tag on the end that says, in the name of Jesus, and get what you want. You have to operate under the authority. And if you have a kingdom agenda, if everything you're looking at has the king's stamp all over it, then you pretty easily fit under his agenda and you're able to ask whatever you wish and it tends to line up with him. And so it happens. 
The choice is ours to obey him or not. And if we do, Jesus promised in Matthew 16, verse 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So if you are facing a situation and you think that it, it is out of control and attacking you, if you are under kingdom authority, you can bind that in the name of Jesus. On earth, it will be bound in heaven. But you can't just use these verses as offensive weapons to force God to do what you want. You have to be under kingdom authority. Next up, kingdom citizenship. Um, Raymond just recently became an Australian citizen. It's great now. He, you know, we, I can talk to him as an equal. We're both Aussies. I was looking up to him before as a Malaysian, you know. But he's become an Australian citizen, and we're happy for that. Some of you have. Um, who is, who is a, a, an Australian citizen by choice rather than by birth here? Just raise your hand. Look at that. And it's great to be an Aussie citizen. And a kingdom citizen is a visible and verbal follower of Jesus Christ who consistently applies kingdom principles of heaven to the concerns of the culture. Kingdom citizens have an obligation to fulfill and, and fully utilize what God wants us to do using our God-given resources. In Jeremiah 29, it's a very interesting verse, Jeremiah 29 verse 7, it says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. People who were sent away from the promised land and were in a foreign land and were prisoners, the instruction came down and said, Pray for that city because you're a citizen of that city, but you're also a citizen of, of the, the people of Israel. Men and women, parents and children, each one of us has a God-given role to play and use the authority that we have to advance the kingdom. Now, you have to remember, we are kingdom citizens first, okay? We think we're Australians and we go, you know, I mean, you put the football up there, Australians, New Zealanders, you know, we everybody clashes, but we're kingdom citizens first, aren't we? You know, we're, we're kingdom citizens before we're Pentecostals. We're also kingdom citizens before we're Ignite Church members. We can be all of those at once, but we have to be kingdom citizens first. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. So we are part of his kingdom and we're citizens. And every every culture, every country has its own culture, traditions, even language. But whatever it is, it must reflect the king of that country, the ruler of that country. And we have all sorts of things like accents and dialects and all that sort of stuff, don't we? I remember, and this is not a shot at Kenny because I understand him perfectly well. I remember being on a mission trip one time and there was a Scottish guy there from Glasgow and um, I was sitting beside this little Indian bloke, we were in India, and this guy was sharing and talking and the Indian guy leaned over to me and he said, what language is that? I, I said, it, it's, it's English, with a Scottish accent, but it's English. And he sat there for a few seconds and went, no, nah, I speak English, that's not it. <laughs> See, accents. But we have an accent as a citizen of heaven. We have a language that we speak. Maybe we should tone it down sometimes. But, but we do have a language because we understand things. We are citizens of heaven. 
The fifth thing I want to talk about is kingdom families. A kingdom family is a family built on God's kingdom agenda. Is your family built that way? It means that every aspect of your family, every decision you make is colored by the fact that you're a citizen of heaven. Every, everything you do is under God's kingdom agenda. I love uh, studying Joshua. He's one of my favorite guys in the whole Bible. But you remember right at the end of his life, he, he gets the people there together. Joshua 24, 15, he says, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. The gods of whatever. And then he says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I love that because the people then go, Yeah, we're with you in your house. Because he said, he said, this is not theory, guys. Me and my house are doing this. What are you going to do? And me and my house uh, have decided to serve the Lord. My question to you is, what, are you, what is you and your house going to do? Are you going to serve the Lord? We can declare our families for the kingdom of God and then choose to live under God's kingdom agenda. The responsibility is ours for intentionally overseeing the generational transfer of living faith and a Christian worldview. So important. Our kids need to know about our faith, don't they? And, and our kids will tell their kids and their kids and so on down the line. As parents, we must train children in biblical principles. That's part of the kingdom worldview. Kingdom parents leave a legacy and inheritance not only for the children, but also their children's children. Anybody can leave an inheritance. You make money, you don't spend it all, your kids get it. They spend it. That's an inheritance. Anyone can do that. But a legacy is different. A legacy is something you build into them while you're alive. And then when you go, they live their life because they have this legacy in them. That's what I want for my kids. Is that right? Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. We know this verse well. You know, Moses sits them out on the, the two hills and he says, choose, choose, choose. And then he says this at the end, choose life that both you and your offspring, your descendants might live. You see, if you decide, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I'm going to walk away from God. I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe in heaven and hell and I don't believe in Jesus and all that sort of stuff. If you decide that as a man or a woman, as a parent, then that affects how your kids decide and their kids. You can lose your life and lose the life of all your descendants right down the line. How selfish. If you come to Christ today, if you give your heart to Jesus today, it's not just for you, it's for your children and their children because you create a kingdom environment in your family and it goes right down the line. And if you don't have that in your family, you're condemning your kids and their kids to hell. I didn't say it, he said it. But if you come to Christ, you are bringing life to your family, life doesn't matter what's gone before. You can be the worst person in history, and if you come to Jesus, all is forgiven. Families are a gift from God, but kingdom families are our gift back to Him. Psalm 28, uh, 128 verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. It's reflected in our church family as well. So this week we're going to have a, a week of prayer. But what we're trying to do in this week of prayer is we want to see the kingdom of God advance. This is not about our church. 
I'm telling you now, I know all of the pastors in all of the churches around here, they're my friends and my co-laborers together. But I'm telling you right now, there's only one church in Nambour, one. And all of us are different expressions of that, but there's only one church in Nambour. We're not bunches of churches. There is only one church in Nambour. Different styles, different locations. But when we open, when the Lord opens his arms to us, we are one in the arms of the Lord. He gathers us all in together and he says we are one. Kingdom stewardship. As citizens of the kingdom, we should live under God's kingdom agenda and that includes our bank accounts. Being a kingdom steward means being a believer who faithfully oversees, protects and expands the assets that God has given him to manage on his behalf. You notice I said a steward, not an owner. We don't own stuff. We manage it for someone else who owns it. Right? And I don't know anybody who has honoured the Lord with his wealth and has lost out. If you grab it to yourself and try and earn wealth for yourself, then you'll come to nothing, the Bible says in Proverbs. But if you give generously and you serve the Lord as part of his kingdom agenda, then you'll gain more and more. How many of you know that's true? I stand here as a testimony to that. If we believe in the kingdom, we have to take seriously our divinely ordained responsibility to manage faithfully the resources given, that the Lord has given us, including time, talent, and treasures. A kingdom steward manages these in a way that brings glory to God. You know, and we, we should be sowing into God's kingdom. Time, talent, and treasures as well. And remember, you're a steward, not an owner. I found this great verse in Deuteronomy 8. Verse 18, listen to this. Talking to the people of Israel, it says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. It's He who gives you the power to get wealth. That He may confirm His covenant that He swore with your fathers. You know, we think it's us. I go to uh, optometry conferences. That's my profession, an optometrist. I go to optometry conferences. There's guys there strutting around saying, well, my practice is this big and I drive this car and da-da-da-da-da. I'm not interested in that. Because God gives the ability to make wealth. Not you. You think you're great. You could be the greatest optometrist ever, but if no one comes to you, you haven't got a business. And I learned long ago, you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So our wealth that we have, our homes, our businesses, our cars, whatever it is, is not from us. It's His and we're just managing it. So when you give to the work of the Lord, you're not really giving. You're just sending some back to the guy who's in charge anyway. You're not really giving. You're sowing. Luke 16 verses 9 to 11, Jesus said this, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much, but whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, I I think a lot of times money is a bit of a test to see how we're going to react. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I like to be the first guy who offers to pay for anything. Is anybody here like that? I really, I, I really feel that's the way to go. I used to, um, been going to the Philippines for many years, and we used to, well, I went over with a couple of people who liked money a lot, and so that you'd, you'd have a meal together, and you'd sit down and you'd go, 
you go, okay, well, you had the Coke, so you've got to pay a bit more. You had a burger, so this, you know, what have you. That's a terrible way to run a mission trip. We throw all our money in and we just keep spending. And we always have enough. In fact, we had so much we gave it away, didn't we? Gave it away at the end and blessed people over there. Last one, kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer is the divinely authorized way to access all of God's kingdom authority. So prayer links us to a heavenly realm where we're unfamiliar in navigating. Prayer is the God-given communication link between heaven and hell, time and eternity, the finite and the infinite. Prayer is the slender nerve which moves the muscle of Almighty God. So sometimes you pray and you think your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, but they're not. If you're in the kingdom, they're breaking through. But you've got to be under kingdom authority. It's a relationship with God. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, you'll know, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. So prayer is the key to the kingdom of God. I want to put, to finish up, I want to put a, a twist on, a, on an, a parable that Jesus shared, but it makes a lot of sense. In our life, we face choices, don't we? And our nation faces choices. Our nation is choosing certain things right now. You may or not agree with them. But the choice for us is simple. There's God's way and the world's way. There's Jesus' way or the devil way, devil's way. There's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. There's the narrow way or the broad way. On Broadway. Matthew 7, let me read it to you, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now, look, if you ask the average Aussie, there's, there's a narrow way and a broad way, which way would you like to go? Most Australians would say, oh, the broad way looks like fun, I'll take that. Won't they? That's what everybody's doing out there. I want to take that way. They'll say, I think I could have a lot more fun on Broadway. I'll have a lot more freedom, a lot more comfort, a lot more fun. But the Lord's given me a different perspective on this. They're not two doorways. They're not even two paths. They're two funnels. Let me explain. The Broadway is a wide one today. Where, where, that's where the mob is. That's where the media and the government are. That's where the crowd is having vanity fair down all, you know, all the time. It's the Mardi Gras in full swing. It's carnival. The carnival is going up. Do you know the word carnival comes from the word carnal, meaning fleshly? Carnivals are about indulging the flesh. And that's what's going on in our society. And they're calling it the way of liberty. Oh, we're free. We can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we please. And, and you can't say anything about it. As Kenny said the other day, we were once called conservative, but now we're labelled homophobic, transphobic, neo-Nazi fascists. And we're not allowed to say a single word of criticism to anybody out there. Oh, don't criticise them. They're allowed to do whatever they want. That's true. It certainly is a broad way at the entrance. But the broad way is actually a funnel. And you go down it, it's got lots of lights at the entrance, but as you go down it gets darker and darker and the walls start closing in. The way of lawlessness is the dark way. The way of the wicked is darkness. There's bright lights at the entrance, but the further down it gets, there's no lights, 
People don't even know what, they, what they're stumbling over. They finished up confused and conflicted. Does that sound like our society? And it's narrowing in. It's getting, squeezing them. As they go down this road, it's getting small. It's big at one end like a funnel, but then it gets narrower and narrower until finally it ends in destruction. In contrast, the narrow way is very, very narrow at the entrance. <coughs> in fact, it's the width of one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's very narrow at the entrance. But you can't, you can't find anything much narrower than, than one single person. Have you ever walked down, down an aisle where, where there's one, one single passageway and everybody's got to sort of pull to the side? And that's, have you ever done that? If you're on a boat or something like that where everything's very narrow, that's what it's like. There's a, there's a narrow way in. Because Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter it, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So the entrance is narrow. But after that, the entrance gets wider and wider, freer and freer, leading to an abundant life here and onward and upward into heaven itself. We need to enter the narrow end of the funnel. The end labeled the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to enter that because as we go through, the funnel gets bigger and life becomes more free. People say to me, I don't want to be a Christian because I, I talked to someone the other day. He said, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in heaven or hell. I said, no worries. One second after you're dead, you will. <laughs> but don't leave it that long. It'll be too late. Decide now. And people say, I don't want to be a Christian because it's too restrictive. Is it? I don't feel restricted. Oh, you can't have fun anymore. Yes, you can. How many of you have eaten a duck inside an egg like that? I mean, you know, come on. There's lots of fun. People say, I don't want to be a Christian because I won't be free. Yes, you will be free. They did an experiment one time. They got all these people in a, in a, in a, in a paddock, all these kids actually in a paddock. And there were no, no fences or anything. And they said, don't go too far, it's dangerous, but you can go as far as you like. Well, they sort of ventured out a little bit and came back. They mostly stuck around the main thing because they were scared, so they didn't know what was out there. But then when they put a fence around it and said, within that fence you're safe, they went right up to the edge, way further than they went when there wasn't a boundary. We need boundaries. And in, when you come to Christ, there are boundaries in your life, but they're good boundaries, and within those boundaries, you've got a freedom and a joy that you could not believe. But don't step outside of the boundaries. It's dangerous out there. But some people live their whole life out there. And then they look at the fruit of their life and say, man, what a mess I've had because I took the broad road. This is your moment, folks, to take the narrow road and to commit to doing it. So let me finish up by saying this. We sing our national anthem. anthem. It's called Advance Australia Where? Because we don't know where we're going, do we, as a nation? Advance Australia, where? Who knows? Australia today looks very unlike the Australia that I remember from five years ago. It's crazy out there. And all you, hear, you turn on the news, all you hear about is, is bad news, COVID, vaccines, homelessness, interest rate hikes, raise rent, raise tempers. Australia is a mess. The media, the schools, the parliament are a mess. Children are being destroyed and some churches are complicit. But listen, it is time that we as citizens of the kingdom of God take our eyes off the government, 
off the media, off all the lobby groups and the storm and the waves and stuff and place them back on Jesus. Do I hear an amen to that? It's time we started advancing the kingdom of God. Not our own agenda, not our own church, but the kingdom of God. Because no one church is going to take our nation for Jesus. No one church. It takes all of us in the family of God and we can start advancing our kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God instead of our own agendas all the time. It's time we took the narrow way and started leading other people to the narrow way. This week, we're going to ask you to join in prayer with us and uh, I'm going to believe that something is about to break. A spirit is about to break over the city of Nambour. And we are going to see families restored, lives set back on course, people committing to the Lord and being saved for all eternity. But it starts when we, when we advance the kingdom of God and not our own agendas. I believe, folks, we are on the verge of the greatest revival in Australian history. Now, why would God send revival? He doesn't send us to us to have a, a good time. He doesn't send revival to us so we can have a holy huddle. Oh, look, we've got it, you haven't, that sort of stuff. God sends revival on his church to advance his kingdom, to take ground for the kingdom, not to make you more fun or richer or more comfortable. Now, God is about to pour out revival so the kingdom of God advances. So this nation comes to Jesus Christ. And we are blessed to be a part of it. So I'm going to ask you, will you join me in praying? Even if you can't make the meetings, will you join me this week in praying that the kingdom of God advances in this city? That the kingdom of God in our homes, our churches, our businesses, our schools, our nation, that the kingdom of God advances. I mean, this is like a declaration of war against the enemy because we're taking ground coming up. Trust me, we are taking ground. And we are going to live up to the name that they gave us so long ago, the great south land of the Holy Spirit. We haven't done it yet. It's about time we did that. Would you bow your heads? I mentioned a broad and a narrow road, and some of you here are still on the narrow road. We don't want you to be there. We love you. We want you to come with us. We want you to be part of the kingdom of God. But this is your moment. Don't let this pass by. Don't let this roll through and say he's talking to someone else. I'm not. I'm talking to you. And I'm saying this is your moment. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. And together, I don't care if you've done this 50 times before, we've got to make this stick. The kingdom is calling you. So as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Say this with me. Ask Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior because this will change your life forever, for eternity. It will change your children and their children. You don't want to see your kids destroyed? Well, come, join us. Join the family of God. Join the kingdom of God. Say these words with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn away from my sin to you. I ask your forgiveness and I ask, Lord, that you would come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let me live a life pleasing to the King. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up just very quickly where you are. We're not bringing you forward. But I know the Lord's been speaking to some people. If that's you, I don't care if you're young or old, make that commitment. Amen.